Angie's coming up to read scripture for us right now, and she's going to be reading from Exodus 16, which is where the uh, folks who are on the Exodus have gotten to um, the middle of the desert, really, and they've had these amazing things happen. Uh, God has delivered them from the Egyptian army, taken them through the Red Sea, but now they find themselves still wanting and not a little frustrated. The whole congregation of the Israelites sent out from Elim, and Israel came to, the, came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious, loving, and eternal God, we ask you now to be with us as we hear your word. We pray that we'll be led to listen not only with ears, but with heart and spirit. We pray that what we walk out of here today with will not simply be listening to human words, but to hear the songs of heaven and the deep message of grace be embedded within us. It's our prayer. It's what we ask for. We trust in you. Most of all, to give us what we need in the name of Christ. Amen. I got so excited this week, I discovered that Steve Harvey is coming to my house to give me $5,000 a week for the rest of my life. Well, that's how I first heard it when I heard the commercial the first time. Uh, publisher of Clearing House is offering me this great opportunity if only I would enter the sweepstakes, which I'm not going to do. Um, but it did get me to think about what, how my life would change if I had $5,000 a week for the rest of my life. Uh, it, you know, I'm not a math major, but I did the math quickly and realized that's more than I make now. Um, <laughs> So I thought that would probably change a few things, I'm guessing. 
But then it also got me thinking, I wonder what else I would be interested in if someone were to come up to me and say, Rick, for the rest of your life, here's a chore or a task you'll never have to do again. I wonder about you, is there something that you wish somebody else would do for you the rest of your life? Can you think of a chore or task you had that you would gladly surrender? Anyone else? I wonder what it might be. I wonder if it might be going to the grocery store. Some of you love going to the grocery store. Some of you hate it. Maybe it's lawn care. I'm going to guess I'm not the only one in the room who would say laundry. Laundry is awful. That's right. It is. I mean, and it's whether it's the washing, the folding, or the putting away, right? Any of that, hand off immediately. You probably have something you wish. Someone would just say, listen, I got that for you the rest of your life. And how much easier you would feel to know that that's taken care of. Well, see, the Israelites have just been given this amazing gift. You will never have to go shopping for groceries again. Because every morning when you get up, I'm going to give you all that you need. Now, it comes out of the context that the Israelites have come into the middle of the wilderness, led by God. And as I've already told you, they've already experienced a number of miracles of God. They know God is with them. But here they get to a place where it seems there is no food readily available and they start to complain. They start to complain that the God who's been faithful to them surely will not help them get what they need at this moment. So they continue to be frustrated and God hears their frustration and God goes to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to wait a second and you guys, I'll get you back. Go ahead, Jeremy, just get her down. They're all watching you anyway. It's all good. Okay. All right. So he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, listen, uh, listen, I've heard your people complaining. Fine. So tell them this. Next morning when you get up, there's going to be manna all around you. Well, what's manna? Trust me. You'll discover it. It'll be wonderful. So they get up in the morning and on the ground all around them is this described as a flaky kind of bread substance. And they could have all that they wanted, rather all that they needed. So they would go out every day and gather how much they would need for their family for that day. The next day they would get up and there would be more manna. Now the Israelites, when they first heard this, thought, this is cool. And the first day they went out and they got manna that they needed for the day, plus a little bit more, because you never know. But all that manna that was left over spoiled. God said, no, let's see if we get this right. Take what you need for today. It's all you need to do. Trust me for tomorrow. And this is repeated for a week. And the Israelites begin to recognize that manna is going to be there and at first, that's a cool thing. And then on the seventh day, it becomes no longer cool. What do we got for breakfast today, Mom? Manna. Again? And they become frustrated with the fact that where they were first worried they would have nothing to eat, now there's not enough variety in the diet. And the Israelites are hangry. They're hangry for things that they can't have. Anybody here living with someone who gets hangry? Oh, I didn't want you to raise your hands and get in trouble. All right. Well, you know, so, but you know what that is. Hangry is, you know, our blood sugar drops and we 
and we need to get our blood sugar back up, and a lot of times we grab things that spike it like, you know, candy and juice and such, and then it crashes even worse. And I was actually looking about hangry this week, and I thought maybe we ought to start giving everybody almonds when they come into worship, you know, just to level the mood out, level everybody out, I don't know. I remember doing a wedding uh, a number of years ago here where the groom said to me at the rehearsal, now tomorrow, Pastor Rick, I won't be with my bride-to-be, but I need you to make sure she's eating throughout the day because she gets hangry. (laughs) And I thought, either this is a guy who's going to have a long marriage or he knows his wife well. I'm not sure which way it goes, but keep the woman fed was his message to me. That's literally what he said to me. But you know what it is to get hangry. The Israelites were getting hangry because... Not only did they first not have anything to eat, now they were tired of having the same old thing to eat. They were focused on wanting to have different kinds of food, and they began to complain. In Numbers 11, 5 through 6, they even talk about this moment in hindsight, say, we remembered the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They were remembering when they had a variety of food. And they wanted it back. Thanks for the manna, but I'd just have some bruschetta, if you don't mind. See, God, though, was trying to say to them, listen, I'm not coming out here to be your maitre d'. I'm not coming on a cruise ship with you. We're on a holy journey. We're on a holy walk. We're going from one place to the other. And you're missing the point. You're sitting here in the middle being given all that you need, and yet you are yearning for even more. Well, the truth is, let me say this quickly. It is not to say that yearning for variety is inappropriate. There's nothing wrong with that. It's one of the ways in which we experience the full richness of God's blessings. One of the things that the Righteous Mission folks got to experience in New York is you ate in some places different than you get to eat here. Yes? Yes? You got to try different kinds of food, yes? And I think that's a wonderful thing. That variety is a richness of God's blessing to us. But the point of this journey that God has taken the Israelites on is not about that. It's about understanding that we're on a walk of faith with God and that God will supply what we need. And if we can stay focused on that, we might discover joy in the moment and not a lack of variety. What journey are you on? Are you on a journey trying to seek where God is going to take you? Or are you on a journey asking God to be your maitre d'? Are you wanting a relationship with God where you have a consumer relationship with God, where you ask God for this and that and the other and expect God to fulfill your order? Or are you on a walk with God going to a particular place? You see, where were they going? The Israelites got stuck here, not only because they had manna, but because they wanted variety. And they were supposed to be going to a place of milk and honey. That's where they were being led to go to. They were being promised they were going to a place where the abundance of the richness of the food and the experiences would be far greater than anything they knew in Egypt. Milk and honey was symbolic of all the promises of where God is leading them, but they lost sight of the journey and they got stuck in the moment. They got afraid in the moment, and then they got bored in the moment. And when we get bored, when we lose sight of where God is with us and where God is leading us, we do things that are not good for ourselves, yes? I like to eat 
Well, that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> but I like to eat when I'm bored. Anybody else? Bored. Nothing to do? Stressed. So, anybody got reasons for eating a lot of food you don't need? Yeah, we do that. We do that. But if we're aware of a richness around us, if there are things happening around us to help us stay mindful of the blessings, it's surprising how much we can accept that we have enough. When I, I was taken back in my memory in thinking about this story to when I lived in Jabalpur, Jabalpur, India. Uh, I was there uh, my senior year of college. Oh, I was there for a month, my senior year of college. I was in India uh, much longer than that. But, so I'm in Jabalpur at Leonard Theological Seminary, which was a, a school for Indians who, Christians, who were coming basically to get undergraduate work and also to prepare for serving in the church. So I was the only American in the dorm, and I had all these friends of mine who, who became friends of mine who, who shared with me their faith. It was crazy there, reading Reinhold Niebuhr, for example, a great theologian, a European theologian, and having conversation in the East-West Dialogue. But the point I want to share with you is, so I ate with all the rest of the students in the dining hall. And every day for lunch, we had dal and rice and curry. Now dal is like a little chickpea, if you don't know Indian food, okay? So it was just little chickpeas in a yellow curry sauce, obviously, and rice. That's what, every day. You didn't have to, I wonder what's on the menu. It's dal and rice and curry every day. And I didn't mind. I didn't get bored with it. You know why? Because I was in Jablapur, India. I mean, everything else around me was new and different and exciting and revelatory to me. And I was experiencing the fullness of the moment. And quite frankly, in that moment, the food was really sort of secondary. It really didn't matter what I was eating because the table conversations were fantastic. And the place I was was amazing. And God was revealing God's self to me in some amazing ways. It was blowing my mind. You could have given me dal and rice and curry. And I still yearn periodically to eat that great lunch to transport me back. When you're aware of where you are and what God is doing around you, it's harder to get bored. And it's hard to start complaining about the sameness of a blessing that God is giving you in the midst of a place of, of lack of whatever else you might think you need. Receiving what God gives you to meet the basics in your life is something we blow past so quickly. We yearn for more and give up what is so real and powerful for us. They literally said on this journey, we'd rather go back into slavery so we can eat a more varied diet. And you and I hear that and we go, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But the truth is, it's not far-fetched from our own experience. Following where God takes you at times means that you will go to places where you will wonder, I don't know if this is working. I don't see the blessing right now. I don't have a lot of hope in this moment. Things are pretty rough, God, and you pulled me out of where I was, and I thought it was going to be an easy ride all the rest of the way, to which God normally would say, did you read the book? 
Did you not watch what I had to do? And what I'm leading you to do? I'm not promising you that you won't be in places where you won't have some want of wanting to go back. But you can decide whether you go back or you go with God. And if you go with God, you will have all that you need. Leading to a time that you will receive more than you could ever imagine. What journey are you on? Where's your level of contentment with what God is doing in you and around you and for you and through you? I don't mean complacent. I mean celebratory in the grace that God has surrounded with you in the moment. And know that God is being faithful. The Israelites lost sight of that. But God continued to be faithful and eventually led them to the land of milk and honey. The truth is, our faith journeys will take us to places where we'll have to be reminded that there's enough manna. We will forget. We are a forgetful people, which is why we gather together here. The exercise of coming together, there's a reason why God did not take them singularly through the Exodus. He took them as a people so they would lean on each other when someone else forgot. They'd be able to be there to remind each other, hey, no, I know right now it's tough, but we're headed to a place that we want to get to. We're leaving the place we need to get away from. I want to remind you that because we forget, particularly when it gets tough. Because God always intended this to be a journey we take together. Yesterday I was in uh, Kalamazoo and uh, I was there doing a wedding for Shane and Emily. Uh, Shane Curry raised in this church and in fact, wow, uh, we were there, he and I were talking about us being together on a righteous mission trip in Benton Harbor a number of years ago. And the positive experience that still remains in his heart and life today. And I was married him to Emily. This is my season of weddings. I got some more coming up. I'm pretty excited about. And uh, yesterday's was a beautiful wedding. We were out by a lake, Gull Lake, in, near Kalamazoo area. And uh, we got to the part where they gave rings to each other. For me, that's such an important moment because it happens right before I say the words that make them married. So this is their symbol. This is the moment they're going to say, I'm going to live an outward covenant. I always make a big deal about the rings. Laura gave me this ring, of course, when we got married, and, and she was very clear that she was not going to give me a small little band. She wanted one big, bright band for the world to see. She was also real thrilled that now I can't get it off no matter whatever I were to do. It ain't coming off. It's just, so that she takes joy and pleasure in that. That's just what I'm saying. But what I say to couples when they share their rings, and what I often pray for is the fact that as they share the rings back and forth with each other, it is a sign and symbol that they'll never be alone again. Even when they're not together, they'll never be alone again. That's, that's what it's about, right? So it's a sign, oh, geez, I, you know, Laura's in North Carolina. 
but the covenant remains. That's what it's about. But the truth is, the truth is in relationships we can get lost, right? We can, we can lose our way, we can, we can find ourselves the loneliest we've ever been in the middle of a relationship. We can find ourselves that a covenant's been broken in a relationship that happens. And God's grace is sufficient to heal. And God's grace is sufficient to help us move forward whatever needs to happen for health to occur. For God is ultimately about health. But what I need to remind the couples in front of me is that this covenant like any real covenant, is never just about two people. But the covenant also is about the one God makes with us. The reason I know I will never not be alone again in my faith journey, my marriage, my faith, everything, is because the one who is with me and will never leave me has made covenant with me. And that's how sometimes when we're lost or lonely or broken, we get back to each other because God is the one who brings us back together. We come back to Christ first and then find a way to come back to each other. And sometimes people will never come back to each other again, but we can come back to the life God needs us to live by coming back to the Christ who's made covenant with us. And that's true for you right now, right here, for everyone in this room, whatever else is going on in your life. God, who has made a covenant with you, is right here with you in the middle of the desert saying, I'm going to give you all that you need for the journey to get you where I want to take you. All other things may be true, but nothing is truer than that. You don't have to wait for that blessing because it's happening right now. It's so easy to get distracted by the things that don't work in our life or the things we yearn for that we don't have, that we begin to pine away and complain about what we don't have and get frustrated. Listen, I get it. But when we're doing that, we're taking a journey that God is not leading us on. And when you do that, you have to wait you have to hold back because you're not going to get what you want right away. That delayed gratification thing, which we're also really good at. Or you can take the walk that God wants to take you on. You can, in the middle of the desert in which you are living right now, choose to say, you know what? Everything else may not be right, but right now, this I know, the God who has walked with me this far is still with me and given me literally everything that I need for now. That's an invitation to each and every one of you. It's what God did with the Israelites in the desert. It's what God is doing right now. So you can choose to keep yearning for what you don't have and live with the complaining frustration that it creates. Or you can trust that God is with you right now and really all that you need right now is in your grasp. 
and God will take you where you need to go. So why wait? Receive and be blessed. Amen.